The following program is intended for mature audiences. You're listening to Bottom Shelf Recording Talk. Sounds boring. Oh my, yeah. With your hosts, James Seabrook. Okay, you were paying attention, but the idea is clear in my head, but translating it into English is not. That's brutal. I understand the hypocrisy. And Joey Roach. I don't even know what you do. I was just told you were the man. Some people would say I'm overconfident. That could be my ego talking, though. I'm trying to think of the right word. Oh. Yeah. Must be a tough word. Next subject. Uh, you're bored with this one? You don't hear us gassing on about it. Give you in the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. By the way, you know, when you're when you're telling these little stories, you have a big mouth. Here's a good idea. What are you even talking about? Have a point. Why are you airing personal matters with complete strangers? It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. You haven't been able to play bass for an entire week? Yes. Why? Uh, it was Tuesday night, I think. Yeah. You yeah. broke your hand or... No. I'm looking at your I... fingers and... Oh, you sliced your finger off. Basically, yeah. What the <laughs> hell happened? Um, I was just building a, a model <laughs> and... <laughs> That's giving me the creeps. <laughs> This is after it's like healed, healed for a week. I know to the point where like <laughs> I could not have it bandaged anymore. Blood <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I was just building a model, and instead of cutting with an exacto blade against like a table or something, you were cutting an exacto blade against your finger. Uh, sorta. I I put it up in the air, and so like there was nothing blocking it from like just mm. keeping going. And when I got through the thing I was cutting, yeah, I also went through my finger. I'm not squeamish about most things. Like you could have really terrible, disgusting conversations while I'm eating food. Mm -hmm. But cutting skin, paper cuts, needles, knives, whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm just give me a sec. <laughs> <laughs> well. Whew. I'm not squeamish about anything uh, except for uh, shake it out. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Like it did hurt. That that's for sure. But uh, <coughs> No, I'm I'm not squeamish about anything unless it's like hand injuries. Like I can't watch horror movies where something's about to happen to somebody's hands. Specifically the hand? Yeah. That's so weird. I think it's because like I use my hands all the time and like musical instruments and stuff so i have like a lot of value on my hands and then here it's i go and so like weird. injure my hand <laughs> but i've been making the joke of like oh i'm not very good with only three fingers and then i'd play like michael jackson's thriller on the bass <laughs> <laughs> like i mean yeah but that's a that's your a professional musicians <laughs> will be like oh yeah that, that, that's easy with three fingers <laughs> that's all you need is three fingers uh but like all these people who aren't really um practiced as much as me with an instrument <laughs> would be like what are you talking about that's so good and it's just like yeah yeah it's actually yeah. pretty bad even like my rendition <laughs> of this is pretty bad <laughs> i can play crazy. the notes but i can't play in time um have you ever is this your first, like, musically inhibiting injury? Um, yeah. And it's not even that bad. It's just I had to adjust how I play. Yeah, well, I mean, like, that's that's a good quarter inch deep from the top of your finger through the nail, 
through yeah. the skin, definitely hit bone. You're probably going to have numbness there the rest of your life. I don't know. According to the doctor, I missed all the nerves. Really? Uh, Congratulations. <laughs> Well, no, no, <laughs> he is. I'm just lucky. <laughs> He's just lucky. Exactly. <laughs> Excuse me. I want to apologize about this cough, which I'm trying to quell with coffee. Um, do you never, you've never really injured yourself in a way that you couldn't play before? Um, I've definitely had like some wrist soreness that's like made playing difficult but nothing right. that has made it so that i couldn't play at all it just okay. changed the way i had to play and like even this didn't stop me from being able to play i just had to adjust what fingers i was using right uh in order to play and i couldn't play anything nearly as complicated as i normally would maybe play mm -hmm. like the, I'll, i i do a lot of stuff with a lot of finger movement typically and so you're, you're, you're missing a lot of that the last week. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I was like looking at the silver lining and just going like, oh, cool. I can practice my finger strength for those other three fingers. Because <laughs> I mean, my index finger has a lot of finger strength already because it's yeah. like the primary finger. So I've been getting a lot of uh, finger strength out of the, the other three fingers. Sweet. Nice. If I play for like longer than five minutes like that, because I have to do like extended stretches, yeah, um, it it actually does get sore, which is That's nice the point. in the sense that I know I'm building better muscles, uh, <laughs> yeah, for my hands. Sweet. So, yeah. Well, I hope the uh, recovery of it goes continually, continuingly well. Um, it looks nasty specifically because the nail is involved. It yeah. looks really nasty. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know the nail was involved at first mm. until like I managed to get the bleeding Clear to slow the down. <laughs> and then I, I took a look and it was just like, oh, my nail's bleeding. Well, <laughs> I should get That's this awesome. looked at. <laughs> I just thought it was like a deep cut in my skin. Right. At, at first, because I definitely knew like this part was, or like the yeah inside of my finger or like the bottoms of my finger. I could definitely see that I cut that pretty deep. Right. But yeah, it wasn't until I like somewhat stopped bleeding and took a look and saw that my nail was also bleeding a bit. <laughs> uh, and what were you doing with this? You were... You were um, building a model. Building a model. What model? Uh, just a Warhammer model. Oh, okay. I got a, a little demon dude that I'm going to use for some uh, role-playing stuff. Sweet. But uh, because Warhammer gives you like 20 different parts that you can have <laughs> on your c creatures, I was yeah. like cutting off parts so that I can make it so I can swap things out. out. Mm. Um, I was like installing magnets and things. Oh, cool. Yeah. So then, like, this demon dude, he comes with options for, like, the specific thing I was cutting was one of his wings. <laughs> okay. And, and, like, he has different modifications, one with wings, one without wings. And so I was, just, like, making it so I can have it so that he has wings or he doesn't have wings, depending on what I want. Right. 
and yeah in the process cut my finger that's fair it works yeah lesson learned maybe for now <laughs> i um the closest i've come to the same thing was i stabbed myself in the head with a knife yeah i, um, I remember I've, you telling me i that. told that story yeah oh, i've heard it a few times i don't know if our listeners have heard it yeah it's not a not a good story makes me look pretty dumb my story makes me look pretty dumb too yeah, anytime Although we should probably talk about audio because i don't think our <laughs> listeners want to hear us well, talking about our this, injuries this started out this started out with a uh with a audio related comment because you can't play bass you haven't played bass for the week well i have played bass but not so just not well, up to your up to your expectations yeah that's and fair it's made trying to write songs difficult mm. I've had four different hand injuries that have prevented me from playing guitar. Um, two of which I'm dealing with now, which I mean, we've talked about that finger of mine that doesn't always open. Um, but when I was 16, when I was 16, I jumped off the back of a moving car and of course couldn't keep up with the moving car running. And yeah, so- Because cars go fast. Cars go pretty fast. <laughs> Uh, and, and broke my, broke my hand, which resulted in that scar. Um, but I was in a cast for six weeks. Couldn't play guitar. Cause that's, that's my strumming hand. And the cast was up to, you know, barely tips of your tips fingers. Of my fingers pointing out. So what I, ended, what I ended up doing was I found a way to tape a pick to your cast a bread clip actually. Cause I couldn't get a, 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 a pick to stay. Um, cause I didn't know about the, the bigger picks. I taped a bread clip to it and, 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 and I was still able to kind of half-heartedly strum. It was, <laughs> it, it was pretty awkward, but <laughs> yeah, that's probably the only one that is of significance. Yeah. I burnt my fingers a few times. Um, grabbing a hot plate or something or, or a hot pan off the stove. I've done that a few times, but yeah. it's never, it's never stopped me from playing. Yeah. It's I had, more just like, oh, my, the tips of my fingers are burnt. I'm going to continue playing. And then afterwards my, I was never dedicated enough to play through the pain. I've had a lot of moments where it's just like, <laughs> I have a gig and I have to play. So it's just, no choice. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been fortunate enough that in my gigging, in my gigging years, um, I never really had significant injury. Mm. I'm trying to think. There's I guess so I'm many fortunate scars enough to, that the band that I'm in or am starting up isn't currently gigging because this could be difficult, especially if I'm playing some prog. Complicated things you're writing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's totally change gears uh, mm -hmm. with no segue. Um, I've read about this study in a couple different places. Have you heard, have you seen this? Um, what was the, uh, damn, I was just looking at it. Let me see if I can find that. It was by future source consulting. 
the pro audio division of Future Source Consulting. They were commissioned, uh, they're a company out of the UK, mm-hmm. and they were commissioned to do a study on on the current trends and sales uh, and or consumer trends in um, audio consoles. Okay. Ranging everything from the top of the top of the line, all the way down, all the way down to the sub one hundred um, consoles. Okay, and you haven't heard this heard of this study? No, uh, I, I think I heard it from Pro Sound News, and then again on on Bobby Osinski's podcast this morning. Okay, um, unsurprisingly, the trend is moving towards digital consoles. Yeah. And strongly moving towards small footprint consoles. That makes sense. People have less space these days than they used to. They used to be had to have the space just because Yeah, you had to fit you had to fit it in somewhere. Yeah. Right. But now I mean everything that my console is, which is a forty eight channel dinosaur, um You can get in half the size. You can get in a quarter of the size. Like, yeah. like, like what is the, uh, the X32, for example, or the, uh, yeah, the X32 has like, it has 32 inputs and stuff, but like it only has 16 faders, mm-hmm. but that's, that's the compromise, right? Yeah. Like you can't get, you can't get a 48 channel, 48 fader console, all that small. No, no. Um, but one of the biggest, one of the most surprising things is that the, and this shouldn't have been surprising. Um, I, I was, I was actually surprised that I was surprised, which is, you know, par for me. Um, consoles, cheaper consoles today are incredibly more versatile and capable than a lot of the mid range consoles from just five years ago, even. Um, and I mean, uh, so much of that has to do with the, the advancements in digital technology over the last five years. Right. But, yeah. uh, the X32 was one of their, was one of their prime examples about small footprint with tons of features. Yeah. X32s like also got the ease of use for a digital console. Yeah. Most like, like the, the downside to a lot of digital consoles is, um, the barrier of entry for each individual console like is just, yeah, it, it's not intuitive. Whereas the X32 is pretty good at being like, here's the, the, mm-hmm. here's the knobs for this feature and this feature and this feature. It's only when you get into like complex matrix routing and stuff like that, where the X32 is just mind boggling. Yeah. But that can be, that can be pretty complicated for just about anybody. I mean, that's a complicated concept to begin with. Yeah. Uh, and then to have to go into the back menus and know how to do it on the specific board. Yeah. Just all the more complicated. Yeah. I am um, still to this day, the easiest digital console I've ever used was the, uh, the Soundcraft S series. I think it was the S series. Yeah. Um, super basic layout um you didn't except for routing you didn't actually even ever have to go into the screen menus Hmm. um everything was 
everything was so logically laid out on the surface, right? Yeah. Yeah. You all right? Yeah. Do you need some more coffee? I got lots of coffee downstairs. Well, this is a latte, so I will be getting a kick of caffeine here shortly, I'm sure. Probably about the time the show ends, right? Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it made me think uh, this this um this trend towards smaller footprint digital consoles and of course cheaper and cheaper and cheaper yeah um it made me think about where is the industry going you know last week we were last week actually the last couple of weeks we've been talking about we mentioned things like the nuage and you're trying to <coughs> excuse me you're trying to um trying to conceive a a uh um, digital controller uh, or MIDI controller that... Uh, well, as my idea keeps evolving, it, it, it becomes more and more a hybrid system. How do you mean hybrid? Well, like it, it, it's both an analog and a digital console. Okay. Uh, analog in the sense of like it has all these things built into it so that you can record in, but then also it controls your DAW. Mm-hmm. Take your, um, take your little screen there and, uh, see Mary, it's not quite twice as big. <laughs> um, uh, take a, take a certain, uh, do a quick search for the, um, oh. Allen and Heath G S 24. Okay. I think that's what it is. Uh, I'm going to do the same Heath G maybe it's just, just the G24 G24R okay that's the one um this is basically what you seem like you're trying to uh trying to build oh what what how is that possible there we go oh yeah it is the GS <sighs> um I almost bought one of these. I think if, uh, if my, my Tascam console had died a couple of years later, I probably would have bought one of these, but I had a couple of the engineers that rent the place. Um, at the time, both of them swore that, uh, if I had Alan, Alan and Heath preamps in the studio, that they just wouldn't be interested in using it. Uh-huh. Which is weird, but and neither one of them is here anymore. That's the truth. Although that's um, a nice looking board. It, it was. It's. It, it was about the size of the table here. Uh, maybe a little. Maybe a little smaller. Um, well, it's like what twenty four faders. Twenty four faders. Is it four buses? Four buses. Two uh, auxiliary sends, or is those effect sends? Four auxiliary sends. I thought. Um, maybe I'm remembering. Is it three faders, left, right, middle, or um, for the master? Because I'm seeing three red. And yeah, faders. it's 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 left, right, mono. Yeah, left, right, mono. Sure. Yeah, mono. Yeah. Um, but the the thing about this, um, this is actually best way to describe this is this is actually like a poor man's version of the uh, SSL 900 series. Okay. The, the AWS series, because um, it's it's completely switchable in and out of 
DAW control mode or analog mode. Poor man's still like nine thousand dollars <laughs> i was it was 13 and putting I mean, power supply considering how much an ssl is yeah it is the poor man's yeah <laughs> but exactly you, right it's still quite the investment yeah the, the thing that this didn't do was this didn't this didn't control anything other than the faders yeah right um i don't think it even controlled the panning um it was just it was just fader control was it motorized faders yep hundred percent and it would uh and and it it would remember your analog settings oh, cool. um and it had a mode where um had a mode where it could do both like it was uh something you'd have to set up in the daw that would remember your analog automation um instead of in daw automation so you could automate your analog um faders to the mix okay which which is one of the one of the most attractive things to me because then because then you're doing all of the mixing analog instead of mm -hmm. mixing digitally but controlled on this on the surface right yeah yeah which of course is the way they used to do it in the old days um and and it had you see those no you're not looking at it anymore it's got well, uh always pull it up real quick center at the top of the console it's got these two big black knobs and they are for a pair of tube preamps um as inputs don't have dedicated faders but um you're supposed to be able to route them into That's a couple cool. of channels yeah yeah it didn't last very long it wasn't um it wasn't a super popular seller. Um, it was just probably bad time on the market. It probably, yeah, it probably, it probably came in, you know, five years too early, right? If they were to re-release it now, I wonder if it would do better. Might, although like the market's getting flooded with these kind of things now. There's not a lot. There's not a lot. Whereas my idea is like modular, like you can expand depending mm. on what your needs are. You gotcha. want the preamps that's going to be an a, a, its own part sounds expensive though it yeah right this but, uh, like my idea is like to make it modular so that it could be built to whatever your purpose is mm -hmm. for it you don't have to build this or you don't have to buy the the preamp uh version of it you could just buy like yeah the, i don't know eight faders that just control your DAW and like that would be your bare bone basic like just the brain right but I would also like some like ability to expand that so you can have like 32 faders or right. like um, I would like to have something that's kind of like the console one even built into it yeah that'd be pretty cool have a meter bridge or and then like have preamps built into it or maybe we can make it so you could swap out like different onboard compressors or something mm. you can get as complicated as you want it to be <laughs> yeah i i really uh, i really dig the idea I, I the idea in my head sounds awesome and like there'd probably be a market for it yeah not a big market but but there probably you're, you're right there probably would be there probably would be a 
a market. There would be people who would pay a lot of money for that piece of kit. Yeah. Um, did you see Roland's uh, extension to the surface? Yep. I just looked at it. <laughs> yeah. Apparently he bought them at the same time. I don't know where he got this deal, but both of them together, including shipping for 600 bucks. That is a really good that deal. That is a really good deal. Yeah. For 16 faders. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got this, he's got this system where he, um, now of course he's still working it out cause he's new. I mean, he's only had him for a few weeks, but does everything he needs to on the computer. Cause he's, he's running laptop, right? Right. Uh, and then he pushes his computer back doesn't need his computer anymore and he he's uh he's an external mouse user he doesn't use the trackpad right um and then he just pushes the faders that push, pushes the two banks of faders together so that so his control surface is right in front of him yeah. and the computer is sitting behind and and he's he doesn't touch the computer again after that after i'm done like editing or whatever i need to do yeah um and like there's only the odd time and it's typically only when I'm doing like auxiliary send like reverbs or external compressors or something outside of the console one right. for effects. Um, I never look at my computer. Really? Yeah. Between the MCU and, and console one, especially since I, I discovered that if I just tap a fader on the MCU, the console one just automatically selects that track. Excellent. Which is just great. I love it. Yeah. Um, since discovering that trick, like I, I, there have been a few times where I'd be mixing and the screen on my computer would just go black. Yeah. Cause I'm not looking up at it and <laughs> that's great playing with a mouse. I'm just playing with the console one and the MCU. Yeah. We so need- like I do majority of my mixing on my my control surface i don't really look at the screen all that much you know what we need to do now what we need to get you a couple of vus to sit in your rack to light up so you can always keep an eye on your metering yeah you don't seem excited about that 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 that, that seems to excite me way more than you i wouldn't mind some vu meters but i would have to find a place in my chain that makes sense to me um, just on your outputs coming out of your, uh, coming out of your converters coming before out of go to your monitors before going to the controller. Yeah. 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 That way you can always, you can always have that reference. Yeah. Be cool. Yeah. I wouldn't mind it. I'd rarely use it probably only use it during mastering (laughs) you don't you don't uh reference um output levels or mix levels when you're mixing not often i don't really pay attention to the meters all that much thus like sometimes i have things that are clipping (laughs) (laughs) but if it sounds good i don't care well yeah i mean everything except your 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 two bus though right like that's that's the only thing i'm i'm ever concerned about uh yeah but like 
My two bus doesn't have an, a noticeable clipping sound when I'm hitting above. And then no, I, but it does it at the does end of a mix. I slap a, a limiter to make sure it doesn't go above zero. Anyway, what do you do? What do you do when you prep it for mastering? Then, like if you're sending it to a mastering engineer, uh, I rarely do that. Yeah, that's fair enough. You do your own mastering, and you do your well. Okay, so do you do your mastering in your mix session? Then I do pseudo mastering, and then I'll bypass the effect. And if I have to. I will turn down things, but right. I don't typically turn things down. Um, usually my mixes are pretty good anyway. Right. There's just like the occasional peak that might hit zero. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I, I don't I don't subscribe to the whole like, oh, your peaks should hit no higher than minus three. Like to me, it's just like you're wasting all that headroom, which, well, <clears throat> which I know with 24-bit... <laughs> doesn't make that much of a difference but I, I would still like to utilize all 24 bits of headroom the the argument for that is more for younger mixers or newer mixers because they 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 don't know they don't know why they don't know the gain structure so here's a here's a rule yeah follow this rule until you understand why to break it right yeah because i mean if you're not clipping and you're not, you're not inducing distortion, it's just fine. I clip right? sometimes, but I mean, at the same time, I'd... If, if you're not, if you're not inducing unwanted distortion, that's, that's the point though. Yeah. Right. If you are, then, then you have, you have I'm an issue. That zero quite a bit. Yeah. But I don't mind hitting zero. Yeah. See, and I'm, I'm, I'm never concerned about, about the headroom. Um, the only, the only thing I, I try to, I try to operate on the cats system, right? The K12, K12 specifically, I think yeah. is the one I, I reference. And it's what most people use. Yeah. And, and so I, I get my kick drum initially when I, cause I, I always start with the kick drum. That's the first thing, first fader I turn up Yeah, and I get it sitting at about uh, zero on the Kate system or minus 12 or however people want to look at that. Right. I sit it there and then I don't ever look at the meters again until I'm close to done. Right. So you just get your kick drum at a volume that works for you and then yeah, do everything around that pretty much, you know, and, and, and that's just, that's just to give me a familiar starting place. Um, so that I, and, and I, and I try to keep, I try to keep a, uh, a consistent, I try to keep a consistent volume in in the in the control room while I'm mixing and specific spots on the on the monitor controller and uh, and all that fair. kind of stuff, right? It it just it just provides that consistency, but it also it also makes sure that I'm never I, I, I never clip. The only times I clip is when I'm searching for something that's a problem and I'm turning shit up to try to hear okay is this the problem is that the problem yeah huh. no i yeah. get volume creep it's usually you what happens what? to me volume what volume creep i don't know what that is um it could be a term i'm making up but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a joeyism <laughs> explain it uh, what is what is this how i describe it it's like if i was to and I do kind of do this where I like, I, I, well, the kick drum is usually the first thing I focus on. And I try to, 
I'll usually get the peak to hit like negative six full scale. Okay. Um, yeah. But because of all my processing that I, I, I tend to do, um, like parallel compression and stuff like that, like even if that individual track is not all that loud because of all my other processes that have gone in to build the kick drum sound itself, it is right. actually substantially louder than the original track. Yeah. So. Ooh, the air conditioning turned on. Yeah. Uh, so like... I, I, I'm calling it volume creep in the sense that I'm increasing the volume in small increments over time right. as I, I get further and further into the mix. Right. And oftentimes, like I, when I'm finishing a mix, I already have it at like a mastered volume. Gotcha. Like I'll put a, a slap on a, a loudness meter and it'll be telling me you're hitting negative 10 LUFS. Hmm. And that's is great. about where I, I master things at, Yeah, which makes mastering for me easier. Cause it's like, I just <laughs> go into a separate mastering thing, make sure songs are relatively close. And then I might slap a limiter on there and the limiter does almost nothing. <laughs> I was talking with another engineer in town yesterday about mastering and we were discussing that very thing. Um, I I just mastered a, an, another hip-hop record last week. For a different artist? Different artist. I really enjoyed this one. It was a ton of fun. This um, one will be released. Beats. It's not stolen. That's right. He uh, This guy made sure that he had clearances on all the uh, all the songs that he was, all the, all the tracks that he was using. There were a couple of samples that he went and found clearance for and blah, blah, blah. He did everything by the book, legit. Um, serious about it, but he's a goofy, um, entertaining kid that is more concerned with punchlines in his songs than also he's being cool. It's he's, he's really funny, but he's not trying to be a comedian. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, like he's, he, is it just overly cheesy kind of thing? The exact opposite. It's overly clever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of, some of his punchlines go way over my head and a lot of them are steeped in, in, um, English literature and, uh, some pop culture and just some really, really oh, great stuff. That's nice. I think you might actually even enjoy it because he doesn't use, he doesn't use a lot of typical hip hop beats. He's got yeah, a, that's the kind of hip hop I like is the stuff yeah. that like feels like there's a lot of thought put into it instead of look at how much money I have. I have all the ladies. Yeah. Look at these wheels with their spinning rims. <laughs> look at so, my so he, gold he, grills. He intentionally stays away from all of that. Um, well, like everybody knows you're lying when you're rapping about that stuff. I don't understand why you would rap about something you don't have experience with. Side note, side note. I thought this was a good, um, good strategy when dealing with rappers. And it just occurred to me a couple of days ago, I want to throw it at you because you might have a good opinion on whether I'm out to lunch or not. Cause I, I was deal with thinking... rappers all the time. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> at least you have opinions on rappers all the time. Um, <clears throat> so I'm thinking about this. When a rapper calls me uh-huh. or they want to talk about hip hop, I feel like I should ask, what are you, excuse me, what are you, what are your songs? 
Man, that's a hiccup that won't let me talk. Oh, excuse me. What are your songs about? I think I should ask that. What are your songs about? And if they're if they're either not willing to tell me, or they're or they're talking about um, gang life, or uh, bitches and hoes, or any of that kind of stuff that I'm not interested in, yeah, or things that I don't that, that, that I don't believe in. I feel like I can, I should just say no. Yeah. Duh. I think that's a fair way to go about it. Okay. And that makes sure that you don't get those projects that you just don't want to be a part of. Yeah. You just like don't want your name on and stuff like that. Cause it says a political message that you don't agree with or, or something, right? Yeah. You know, um, whereas, whereas this, this one that we just finished, like I'm super proud of this one. Uh, and I, I did almost nothing because the tracks came and they were already, for the most part, sounding good. And except for one, we argued over this one track that he had. And it was clearly, it was clearly performed rather than written into the computer. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, and I don't know if that was real instruments or like just a dude sitting tapping on his keyboard. Right. But okay. Um, clearly performed sloppy as fuck. Like it was so sloppy. So like that, tempo changes radically. No, um, sloppy performances. Like, like the bass isn't, isn't really grooving with the drums and the drums are speeding up and slowing down. And the only thing, the, this is why I think it might've been tapped on a keyboard. Uh-huh. The only thing that was rock solid was the hi-hats. They were just a steady eighth note the whole way through, right? That was probably programmed then. That's what I was thinking is they just, they used this as a metronome and just kept it. And then everything else, they, yeah. Yeah. And didn't correct Sloppy the as fuck. And, and I, I, I strongly encouraged him not to use it on the record because I thought it was, but he really loves the, he really loves the lyrics he put to it. So he ended up keeping it. Okay. Well, get the multi-tracks. Uh, I don't know. I'm just yeah, thinking of we, like what my counter argument for that would be where if like an artist really insists on have releasing it. It's just like, here, okay, <clears throat> give me the multi-tracks so I can correct these issues Yeah, and we can make this a better song. What I ended up doing was um, I left it in his hands. I said, if you feel, if you feel even a little bit like this song isn't like the, the beat isn't good enough, um, you should get the multi-tracks. But if you have zero hesitation about it, even after I've made all my arguments, you're feeling it fine, then don't worry about it. Yeah. Right? I think that's a good... And 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 he decided, he, he decided that because he, he was able to follow the hi-hat no problem and kind of ignore the rest of it. Okay. Um, he, he felt fine about it. So. All right. Yeah. But everything else on the record... <clears throat> just fantastic so much so much good stuff um it also where was i going with this oh that's right so we were mastering this project back um back to this conversation because we're talking about limiting yeah. and and how you like you your limiter might only be doing a it's catching decibels, right? the thing that sneaks through sneaks through yeah yeah more or less um I was saying to this, to this other engineer who was about to master a classic, like a ZZ Top-ish kind of record. Um, 
that's the same that's the same thing that I do is I I have I rely more on compressors than on a limiter yeah. to well I, I, right? I do so much compression going into the two bus that by oh. the time it hits the two bus the limiter doesn't have to do anything yeah it's it's just catching those those peaks that are sneaking through yeah and, and some of those peaks are on purpose but right in order to hit that threshold that I need to hit to get to the loudness everybody wants to get. <laughs> yeah. I, I need the limiter to just shave off those odd peaks. I've been, um, <clears throat> I'm tangenting on the loudness thing. Uh -huh. Um, I've, I've been listening to my, um, my iTunes library in shuffle, right. uh, the last, uh, last couple months. And it's incredible how, like my my library goes back to the like physical CDs that I bought in the eighties. Right. Um, it's amazing how varied loudness is throughout my library because I'm, I'm I'm constantly chasing it. Yeah. And you know what? I don't ever mind. The only thing that bugs me is I have a few records from the. 80s and maybe the 70s that uh that are on my library that i physically can't turn up loud enough in the car to where i want them right other than that other than that i don't mind chasing the but chasing you've the probably volume. remastered those cds since i don't want to touch the remasters fuck that i i want nothing to do with remasters because every single remaster changes the fucking song <clears throat> so the police one of my favorite bands on the planet love the police and I love the original versions that were on vinyl. Yet they released all of them digitally remastered. And they're fucking awful. It's like <clears throat> they turned the bass guitar into a big fat hard rock bass. And it just doesn't work with the arrangement. It doesn't need all that fucking low end. It's so, well, so the, angry. The super aggressive limiter that they probably used on the remasters. Because I've well, noticed a lot of those, uh, a lot of cases with remastering where it's just like, you could tell pretty much all they did was slap a limiter on it and then mm -hmm. just made it commercially loud for whatever time it was when they remastered it, no, which is like 2010, 2012. This one, they definitely, they definitely got that bass down an entire extra octave, huh. like, like an entire octave, okay. um, which might've involved remixing well, as well. Right. But sure. Well, I, I have noticed though, like, um, with like, King Crimson and stuff like I, I was comparing the digital remasters to the original yeah, and it was uh, like I could hear more going on in the digital remasters okay. only because of how aggressive that limiter is oh, and there's like yeah. a lot more tape hiss going on and right. stuff like that um, but I could tell it was the original mix it was just it was limited just limited yeah that's like too bad. aggressively limited which is too bad because like they could have done a lot of things to to minimize that aggressive limited limited sound um i.e you know stage your compressors <laughs> going right. up to the limiter 
it would still change the sound of the, the song, but it would, yeah, it would be less noticeable. Yeah, I, and <clears throat> which is a trick I do whenever I I have something <laughs> where like it's clear that the client didn't uh, stage their compressors going in, and I'm mastering it. Mm-hmm. Like I will stage compressors right. to to minimize. Uh, the damage I have to do to hit the levels that they want me to hit. Mm. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Six compressors doing two decibels of gain reduction sound better than one compressor doing like 12 dBs of Mm -hmm. compression. So, yeah. Oh, excuse me. I did a mix a couple weeks ago. I probably mentioned this. Uh, finished a mix a couple weeks ago, and I couldn't. I had, I had too many backing tracks, yeah. so I, I bust them all uh, and ran the backing tracks themselves through a stereo compressor. Right. Um, wasn't happy with a single stereo compressor, so I stacked it with another one and just did a little less on both, and it was gorgeous. Brought yeah. brought out all the detail I wanted without getting overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons I love the uh, FMR's RNC, the really nice compressor. Yeah, because it's three compressors stacked. Yeah, I I got rid of mine. <laughs> I mean, it helped me afford my Dyn Audios and the, the monitor controller that I'm currently mm-hmm. paying off. But, right. Uh, we have, we have. Um, two of them up here and one of the 500 series downstairs. I really enjoy them. Yeah. No, oh, I, 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 I like them. I'd probably get an, another one or two. Yeah. I, I think I would want to get a rack unit one though. Well, they don't make a rack unit specifically. They, well, they, they, they like little, put it in or they, oh, they yeah. put rack ears on it. So you could put it on a, a 19 inch. That's what we have here. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I would like to get one of those. I'll sell you mine. You don't well, have any money, I know. No, I don't have money for a while, but <laughs> give it a couple of years, I might. Might have money then? Maybe. Maybe. If the studio <laughs> makes any kind of money, which I, I think it will, because I'm, I'm pretty sure I got a couple people who'd be interested in mm. renting my space once I got it up and running. You guys should look at um, uh, Futurepreneur. Futurepreneur. It's a terrible fucking name, but um, they're a nonprofit. Um, yeah, you yeah, always it, recommend this to me. Yeah. And when I look into it, it's pretty much like I can't have a job in order to. Well, the idea is, yeah, the idea is you're going full time at, yeah. at a business. But I mean, like Mary is about to do this on her own anyway. And I mean, not the stu- not specifically the studio thing, but to go into business for herself, right? So. Yeah. So something to look at. You're a real adult. Uh, uh, real adult is. <laughs> I just realized how sharp your nails look. They're dull as fuck. Too much use. They look. They look deadly. She's not mic'd, so I don't know if any of our listeners can hear this conversation yeah, you're she, having she, with she, her. <laughs> she can, <laughs> or we can hear her. Well, yeah, we can hear because we're in the same room. Yeah, I'm wearing the headphones. I can hear what's going on through the microphone. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, would you, um, 
If I got a little headphone amp on the table, would you throw your headphones on and listen to yourself? No. Okay. I'm just asking. No. Some it, people seem to like it. I I don't. I only like to hear myself when I'm playing like an instrument. Then I want to hear well, my instrument. Yeah. But, but not uh, your voice. No, I don't want to yeah. hear my voice. It, it It's weird, especially if there's even a slight delay. It like yeah. plays with my mind. Like even when I'm on the phone with people and they yeah. put me on speakerphone, especially in cars where like they, they have their phone connected to their Bluetooth system or whatever. I get right. that bit of a delay where I, I say something and then I hear my voice coming back. Like it, it just <laughs> screws with my head. I've been doing the, the, um, this voiceover project. Um, the last, well, I've been working on it for way too long. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. I fought with it for the first couple of days, listening to, um, the process signal coming through the DAW. And I had, um, had maybe, maybe, um, hundred millisecond delay through all the processing and back to my ears. Right. I just couldn't handle it. I just couldn't, ha- it was, and it was enough delayed and made me sound weird enough mm-hmm. that I just, I, I couldn't do it. So I, I had to, like I do for the podcast, I'm monitoring direct off the, uh, off the interface, not through any of the processing. Right. Right. Cause it's just so awkward. But when I listened back to the recorded processed voice, I actually feel a disconnect now. It's like I'm listening to that voice and that doesn't sound like me anymore. It doesn't sound like I'm the one talking and I'm, and I'm freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's cause I've done so much of it lately. Maybe. I think I'm 70 pages into this project. Terrible. Yeah. Um, there was something else I wanted to go before. Oh yeah. Uh, I've been, I finally, I finally come to the decision that I need to, um, upgrade my mixing headphones. Um, specifically, <clears throat> specifically I've, I found a limitation in the AKGs that I have that I, um, I, I want to upgrade them so that I have something something better. It's kind of like upgrading your studio monitors. Yeah. You know, but specifically the headphones, cause I want to take them everywhere. I would love to get myself a pair of AKG 712s. 701s? 712s? I think it's 712s. I've, I've listened to a pair. Uh, at least I've listened to the, to a pair of the 700 series. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to go to the 800 series. Cause like that's, the price oh, tag on that doubles. is just yeah. nuts. Although I looked at the spectrum analysts of like the 800 series is just like, wow, I've never (laughs) seen anything that flat. Yeah. Well, I, with that in mind, I've actually been, I've actually been considering, um, AKG 700 series or the Sennheiser 600 series. Um, are you familiar with the Sennheiser 600 and the 650? Uh, not familiar with them. So not the 600 series, no, but like the, the one that's on par with like the, uh, 200 AKG. Yeah. That's the, like the $200 mark kind of, these one, these ones are 550 and 650 at at Long and McQuaid. Yeah. So they're up there with like the 712 or 701. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I've been considering, I've been considering one of them. Um, let me we, yeah, we have, we have enough time. Let me, let me, 
give you the contrast between the 600 and the 650. And this is more theoretical, um, how to choose, like what to choose between the two. This is just you looking at specs and coming up with this? Uh, no, this is based on reviews, based okay. on um, reviews of both. And I found a couple of comparative reviews as well. Um, go to headphones.com or whatever it's called. There's a website where it's like, it, it, you can compare uh, spectrum analysis of different headphones mm. with each other. See, and I'm not, I'm not so concerned about this, the spectrum analysis. I'm more concerned about, about, um, actual usability in a mixing situation. Okay. Um, if that makes sense. So, uh, the 600 and the 650, they're about a hundred dollars apart. Um, but specifically the 600, uh, reviews as incredibly flat, incredibly unhyped, um, with, uh, really good, really good, um, mid range detail. Right. But, uh, a lot of reviewers say that it doesn't have, it doesn't have quite the sparkliness, uh, in the upper, in the upper frequencies and the higher frequencies that the AKG series would have. Hmm. Whereas, <clears throat> the 650s, they have a slightly boosted low end. They have a wider stereo image. Right. And slightly less detail in the mid-range. Hmm. But again, kind of that that softer top end when compared to the AKGs. Are you looking at them right now? Uh, I'm it's trying to... HD 600, HD 650. <laughs> you look like you're struggling with that fucking thing. Well, it's just one of those websites where like a thing pops up when I'm in the middle of doing something else. Fuck, I hate that. Uh, I'm looking at both the 650 and the 600. They have a, they have a comparative. What uh, website is this? Uh, headphone.com. Headphone.com. I will add this to my reading list. Um, they will give you charts and stuff of different headphones. Nice headphone headphone or headphones.com headphone.com dot com all right it's a site i used to frequent a lot when i was still deciding what headphones i wanted and then i tried some akgs and like i even i looked at the spectrum analysis first right uh, and it looked like it was the flattest or whatever but then okay. I, I listened to them and like of all the ones i was thinking of buying i preferred the akgs right and so I just stuck with AKGs. You now I have like three sets of them. So, so as I as I look between as I look between these um, these six hundred and these six fifties, yeah. and I'm just like just the theoretical, the six fifties having the bass boost versus the six hundreds being more flat. Yeah, I'm wondering because I I tend to mix a little little low end heavy anyway, like so many of us do. I was wondering if it makes sense to have a set of headphones that has a little bit of boost. So I don't, I don't feel like boosting the low end as much as I do. Maybe. Does that make sense? Or am I out to lunch on that? Uh, as a worthwhile consideration? Uh, it's probably a consideration to have. If you find that you're boosting the low end too much. I always find a little bit. I mean, I, 
with I do it- my new mon- like my new the Dyn audios. Yeah. Despite the fact that they have less bass than my my York fills. Right. I don't find that I'm really doing anything different in terms of like bass boost. Okay. All that much. I'm just able to because I can hear more of what's going down there like, yeah. in terms of like sheer detail anyway. Right. Um I'm finding that I can make my low end sound better, but it's, it tends to still stay at roughly the same volume. Okay. That's fair. So and swapping back and forth, like it does definitely sound radically different. It it's kind of interesting to just like turn off my down audios and turn on my York <laughs> fills and the mix just all of a sudden sounds really dark in comparison to what I was working on. Like you weren't boosting the highs as like you're not like you don't boost the highs as much in the Dyn audios? Oh uh, the Dyn audios give me like a lot of detail. Right. And so I can hear when it's getting super harsh. And but then when I switch to my York fills, because my York fills I didn't realize they had so much low end to them. Right. Uh, oh, I got so you. They, they, they t- it, it, the mix itself tends to sound darker just because of the character of the Yorkvilles. Yeah. But the Yorkvilles don't have like a clear low end. Right. It, it's kind of a muddy low end. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. But it, yeah, it, it's been interesting having gone to a speaker with less low end than what I'm used to, and I'm still doing more or less the same volumes that mm-hmm. I would do on my York fills. I'm just able to to find problems a lot better. Okay, that's what I've and, noticed, and, and that's 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 really what we want, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like if I had a low end heavy speaker, yeah. Uh, it would make my mixes have less low end, but maybe I've just gotten to a, a, a point where it's just like, I know what the low end should sound like on my speakers. Mm-hmm. And if you give me a speaker with a lot of low end, I don't know what the low end should sound like on those. So I'm going to make less low end and that thus the mix is going to be very bright in comparison to what I normally use. Yeah. Which so. is, which is where most mixes exist these days is well i guess that's that's not true i was comparing a um i was comparing a mix from the early 90s with a mix from about 2011 2012 uh-huh. and i found the mix in, tw- in, in from the 90s incredibly bright by comparison um i, I well i think we've been putting more and more into low end yeah uh, as time goes true. on because we're able to control it a lot better. That's very true. Like bass in general is like a new concept in music in the grand scheme of things. What do you mean grand scheme of things? Uh, it wasn't until like the electric bass that we were like utilizing bass. In mixes? In music. In music. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I mean, it, or, orchestral, There's there's always been... There's always been something bass. Well, like there was cellos and stuff, but like cellos aren't as low as like an upright. And they they, they did like those weird, crazy bass that take two people to play. But, <laughs> but like that was a limitation back in the days. Like in right. order to get like the kind of bass we get these days, you needed like a large instrument. Yeah. 
Nowadays, we can do that with one person, just pushing a button and a 15-inch speaker. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see you guys all next time, I guess. Yeah. Follow our hosts on Twitter at Two Bodies of Water. You got that mic in a comfortable spot yet? I'm still working on it. At Joey R. Engineer. I can't even talk. I don't remember what my point was. This is a boring podcast. Um, I realize at the end of this, we didn't introduce ourselves. On to the internet you go. Go switch off.